All right, gentlemen, welcome. It's good to uh, see you back after a little bit of a break. So if you haven't been with us, let me just explain the flow of things. So there are essentially three topics each month that we're rotating through. Uh, the first one is what we'll do today, which is just studying slowly through Psalm 119. And today we're in verses 17 to 24, so you can go ahead and turn there uh, if you've got your Bible. And then we are working through um, Common Sins of the Heart, which will be the next Thursday. Chris will be teaching on the, the sin of anger. We'll look at that in Scripture and how to deal with that as godly men. And then we'll be back in Passions of the Heart uh, the following week. If you, if you want to follow the schedule, um, it's right there on the website. Just go to the men's page. There's a schedule there you can print that out or, or have that on your phone but we'll, we'll continue in that cyclical pattern but it's been a great time together just focusing on uh, key issues that help us grow as men to lead our families well and to walk in righteousness so i'm going to I'm just going to spend some time in prayer with you now and then we will dive into psalm 119 verse 17 let's pray lord god thank you for the opportunity this morning uh, to set aside time to dwell on the rich treasures that are contained in your word. Uh, we pray that you would cause it to bear much fruit in our lives, that you would help us to walk in accordance with your truth, uh, that we would be godly men, and that our minds would be washed with the truth as the psalmist is diligent to wash his mind. pray that that would uh, spur us on to do the same, and uh, that it would cause us to walk more faithfully with you. Bless this time. Use it for the edification of your people and the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, on these mornings where we're studying Psalm 119, uh, hopefully you have had a chance to work through it some on your own privately. Uh, if not, that's okay. You'll be able to do that now. Uh, but I'm going to teach just a high-level overview of this portion of the psalm and draw out some, some points to, to look at and some application points Take notes on that, and then my intention is to allow some time at the end for us to break into groups and to discuss that and, and pray together. So, um, so with that in mind, let's just jump right in. Let's read Psalm 119, starting in verse 17. We'll read the, all the way to verse 24. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. I want us to think for a moment as we begin of the effect that gravity has on water. Obviously, without fail, water runs downhill from wherever it is because of the force of gravity pushing it to reach the lowest point that it can reach. This is, of course, why sea level is, we consider that the lowest point on land where the earth meets the water because the water has pooled into these massive pools that we call oceans. In the same way, as we grow in spiritual maturity, I want to think about the effect of the Spirit of God and our love for Christ on our thoughts. 
your thoughts and your meditations as you grow in Christ ought to pool into one particular place. When your mind has the opportunity to be free, and we understand throughout the day we have things that we're forced to think about with work and conversations and things like that, but when we have those pockets of time, when we have the choice to think on what we want to think on, if we're to grow in godliness, and as we grow in godliness, we ought to find that our minds continue to settle into one pool, and that pool is God himself. And of course, the means by which God has given us to know him and to focus our attention on him is here in his inspired word. So to think on God, we ought to have minds that pool into the pool of the word of God, saturated with the word of God meditating on the Word of God proactively. And, and over time, as we grow in Christ, we should find this natural settling of our thoughts in the truth. And it should happen all throughout the day. This is the idea of, of meditating on the Word day and night, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1. This is how we pray without ceasing. Our, our thoughts settle again back to God and His Word, and then our hearts rejoice and we call out to God in prayer. Let me ask you, where do your thoughts settle when they are unoccupied by other necessary things that you have to think about? When you have a free moment to think, what is the topic that most commonly captures your attention? I want you to actually think about it. I'm not going to ask you to answer, but I want you to think about it. Free time comes, where does your mind go? When you're anxious or worried or lustful or angry, I want you to stop and think, where has my mind settled? Because inevitably, if we are walking in uh, any kind of sin, if any sin has captured us momentarily or for a length of time, we've allowed our thoughts to settle in a place that's other than God. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it really gets to the heart of why I chose Psalm 119 as something for us to methodically make our way through. I love Psalm 119 not because it's a masterful example of, of, of poetry or, or, or a masterful example of how to talk about one topic in such a thorough way, although it, it is those things. It's, it's really masterfully written. I think you understand uh, hopefully that each of these pericopes, uh, set of verses, are built off of the Hebrew alphabet. We just read uh, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so Aleph and Bet were the first two, and this was Gimel, which means that each of the main lines, each of the verses, begins in the Hebrew text with what would be corresponding to our letter G. Um, and so you, you see this, and he does this all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. It's really masterfully written. And yet, it's not just a, an exercise in, in, in showing how to, how to write in an acrostic or, or something like that. It, it is really an expression of the psalmist's heart. He's not forcing in ideas. You know, if you had to write poetry in school, um, you did if you went to school, um, you may have hated poetry. And so you're like, okay, I've just got to fit something in here. It has to start with a G, so... You just write whatever you can write and to, to pass the test. But it's not really an expression of your heart. That's not what's happening here. He's not sitting around saying, okay, hey, I've got to have another gimel. What's it going to be? 
Oh, I'll just write, I'll write this. This, this is flowing from his heart. It's obviously inspired also by the Spirit. And what is flowing from his heart is a preoccupation with the Word of God. He's consumed with it. And it's an expression. So we have Psalm 1 that starts the Psalter, which begins with the way of the wicked, right? The blessed man doesn't do certain things. He doesn't walk in this way or think this way. doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But the blessed man does what? His delight is what? Law of the Lord, which throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament is a reference to the word law here in Psalm 119 is Torah. You, you recognize the Hebrew word Torah. That it's, a, it's a reference to the Word of God itself. And so the, the blessed man... He rests in the law of the Lord. It is his meditation all the day, it says. So that kicks off the Psalter. And then we come to Psalm 119, and what we have here is an example of what would it look like if a man delighted in the word of the Lord? What would it look like if the word really was our meditation night and day? We come to the New Testament. We have similar admonitions. Think of Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Later in Colossians 3, down in verse 16, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Ephesians 4, of course, gives us the process of change in verses 22 to 24. In short, uh, Cliff Notes version, the process of change, how do we go from walking in sin to walking in righteousness? Paul says, you've got to lay aside or put off the old man so those temptations arise. You put that off and then you renew your mind. With what? With the Word of God. So sin is a lie. Sin is tempting us to think on things that are not true. And so we combat that by turning our minds to what is true. We renew our minds and say, yes, this is what God says is true. And then step three is we put on righteousness and now we have walked all the way from I'm, I'm, I'm in sin or tempted towards sin and but I end up walking in righteousness all of that leads us back to this funnel uh, down to Psalm 119 and that really is why I chose this psalm for us because I want myself and I want each of us to be Psalm 119 kind of men men whose minds settle on God and his word who meditate in His law day and night. You know, when you hear things like that, when you hear the Word of God say we, the, that the blessed man meditates on His Word day and night, that sounds like hyperbole, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a pretty way to say he really loves God's Word. It's not hyperbole. It, it is actually the way we're to live. So what will that look like? Well, it'll look like this. I want you to notice every single verse not only starts with Gimel, but every single verse includes something about the Word of God. Every verse centers back to the Word. So I'm going to read them all again. Notice how each of them, it really each, each has two halves. One half will be a statement or a question or a request. The other half will say something about the Word of God. So, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. 
Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Notice every single verse comes back to the word of God. Notice also that what we have here roughly are four sets of pairs. So each verse goes with the verse after it to form pairs as far as kind of units of thought, topics. Verses 17 and 18 go together. 19 and 20 go together. 21 and 22 go together. 23 and 24 go together, roughly. Especially here, verses 17 and 18 are the psalmist's requests of God. He says, deal bountifully with your servant, in verse 17. And verse 18, open my eyes. Both of those are requests. Deal bountifully with me. Open my eyes. What does it mean to deal bountifully with me? It's, a, it's essentially thinking again through the lens of Psalm 1. It is the blessed men. Ble- show your favor to me. Give your blessing to me. To what end, though? Bless me. Deal favorably with me so that I may live to keep your word. For the psalmist, He's asking for the blessing of God in length of life, but not to spend it on himself, not because he has some other ambition, but because he wants more time to live out the law of God that he loves. Not only that, in verse 18, we see an example of a recognition of the need for God to open our eyes to even understand the word. The second request is open my eyes for what purpose? That I may behold wonderful things from your law. Again, this is not just flowery, poetic language. He wants to behold wonderful things from the Word of God. Is that how you think about the Bible? I was talking to a young man the other day, newer in the faith, probably around 20 years old, and he was having a hard time with the Bible. He was having a hard time understanding it. He couldn't understand why so many Christians spoke so excitedly about their time in the Word and why they, they couldn't get enough of it. Because he was having a hard time understanding it. He wasn't thinking of the Bible as full of wonderful things. He was thinking of the Bible as full of hard things to understand. And even as I said on Sunday, it is true that we have to learn how to study the Bible. And there are certainly passages that make our brains sweat. But as you mature in the faith and you read and feast on the Word of God, and as the Spirit, which is crucial, illuminates the Word of God, suddenly... These are not just cold words on a page. They're not just a list of theological lessons or old stories from Sunday school. These are wonderful things. Do you pray for God to open your eyes and show you wonderful things in Scripture? By that, I don't mean twisting Scripture into odd interpretations. I mean, God, the nuggets of gold, of wisdom that are in the Word, bring them out and show them to me. Help me behold wonderful things. That ought to change the way we pray before we open the Word of God each morning. The second pair of verses, verses 19 to 20, we'll call the psalmist's passion for God. 
So we have his request in verses 17 and 18. Verses 19 and 20, we see his passion for God. I'm a stranger in the earth, he says. Do not hide your commandments from me. As I've thought about that verse, I think what he's saying there is he's expressing what all of us begin to feel. The more we grow in our love for Christ, the more this world feels strange. It's not our home. Our thoughts and our minds run back to our heavenly citizenship. And particularly when we read the Word. If your mind is feasting on the Word of God, then the, the events and the challenges and the struggles and the sin that characterizes this world more and more begins to feel like, I'm a stranger here. I don't belong. This is not my home. That's the idea here. He's a stranger in the earth, and he calls out to God, do not hide your commandments from me, because that's where he feels at home. This is how we, when we're in the Word, and we, we, we have a time to stop and shut off everything else and focus our attention here, we feel at home. This is part of my heavenly citizenship. I'm with the Lord. This is where I belong. In verse 20, he has an interesting description of himself. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. I love that because our souls are often crushed by so many other things, are they not? By soul being crushed, I mean the thing that's weighing you down, the thing that sits on your shoulders. So many times it's my job is just weighing on me. My my marriage right now, my, my children, particularly this one or that one, and this struggle, it's just that is just crushing me. He says, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances. It, it is to say, the Word of God is His preoccupation, and when He's in the midst of those things that take His attention away from the Word necessarily, what it, the heaviness He feels is a longing to be back in the Word. I'm crushed to be in the Word. That, I'm driven to be in the Word. That is what I long for all the day so easy for us in the midst of the busyness of our day to long for all sorts of things that we think will provide comfort or rest or, or peace or enjoyment. And I'm not saying there's not a time for, for some of those, those things that are not sinful. I am saying how often is it that I just long to have some space in my calendar because I long to be in the Word. My soul is crushed with longing for the Word. This third pair of verses we'll call the wicked versus the righteous. And he, he puts up against one another in, in verse 21, the, the, the arrogant, the wicked, and God's response to the wicked, and then himself and his, his love for the Lord and his request. So verse 21 deals with the wicked. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. So as, again, I keep seeing references to Psalm 1 here. Psalm 1, of course, does the same thing throughout the psalm where it places the wicked man against the righteous man. And in the end, well, we see the verdict that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They'll be blown away like chaff. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's similar here. The arrogant man is rebuked. And think about that word arrogant for a moment. What is it to be arrogant? Certainly it's pride plays into arrogance. 
But when you think of someone who truly meets the definition of arrogant, it's a person who's very confident in their knowledge, usually of everything, right? Have you ever met a, a person, and, and no matter what topic you bring in, whether it's you know, how, to, how to raise a tortoise or, or uh, how, to, how to invest in the stock market, they, they know everything about it. You know, they're way ahead of you on that. It, it, it produces that sort of sensation of, this guy's real confident about everything he knows. And he wants me to know that he knows everything that he knows. And this kind of arrogance here in this passage is the, is the arrogance of the worst sort because this is a person whose arrogance has caused him to wander from the commandments of God. Essentially what that means is this is, the, this is to break the, the admonition in Proverbs 3.7 that we're not to be wise in our own estimation, to not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and keep His commandments. Disobedience of God is the height of arrogance. Because essentially what you are saying is, I'm rejecting, God, what you have said is best for me. I'm setting aside what your assessment is of how I should live, and I'm running after this. In that moment, I'm not saying we go through this process actually, cognitively, but we are living as if I know the way that's better. That's the arrogant. The arrogant here wanders from the commandments of God. But the psalmist speaks of himself and asks, take away reproach and contempt from me. And I think in context, we're going to see in verse 23, he's likely talking about the reproach and the contempt that's coming from some higher officials who are out to get him. There apparently is something going on contextually in which he is, whether it's persecution or, or someone that just doesn't like him that has a lot of power. He's saying, take, take that reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies and He's not saying that in, in a prideful way, boasting himself up, but he's, he's running to his God and he's, he's confessing to the Lord, Lord, I love you, I love your ways, I love your word. Protect me in this situation. And in the fourth pair of verses, we'll call the psalmist's commitment to meditation. The psalmist's commitment to meditation. And here again, we have, we have two opposing Examples, verse 23 on the, the negative, and our verse 24 continues into the positive. Verse 23 says, Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Now the word princes there, looking at the Hebrew, is a, is a bit hard to, to define. Essentially, it's a high-ranking official. It, it, it's a person who has power. It could be a military leader or a prince. But what I want you to understand is when he says, even though princes sit and talk against me, these are people who are not just gossiping about him. They're people who have the power to do him real harm if they determine to do so. It's people that are opposing me who actually could ruin my life, perhaps even take my life. And yet, though these high-ranking officials are gossiping about him and perhaps planning maliciously against him what does he do is he wringing his hands and wondering what are they saying about me what's going to happen to me no he says that's happening in the other room so to speak 
but your servant meditates on your statutes. My mind is still settled in the same place. I rest my heart in truth. I'm not consumed with what it is those powerful men are saying about me and what they're plotting against me. And the reason for that is verse 24. And This is one that we ought to take to heart. This is a great verse to memorize. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Notice the word choice there. Delight and counselors. The princes are, the high ranking officials are taking counsel together in their evil plotting and scheming. But where is it that the psalmist runs for counsel? The truth of the word, your testimonies are my counselors and they are my delight. There's affection here. The psalmist has come to understand how precious the Word of God is. Of course, we see in the, in the Psalms that the Word of God is precious like gold. It's sweeter than honey. Your testimonies are my delight. Let me ask you, when you think of the Word, honestly, is this your delight? Is it a drudgery? Is, is it the thing that you know you've... You need to do it so that you can come and say you did it, but man, you'd, you'd really rather sleep in or use your time in some other way. Or, or do you long for it? The psalmist says, it's my delight. These are my counselors. Now, in going through these verses, I've written out eight different questions of application. I've tried to take each idea that he expresses and encapsulate that in a question that would help us evaluate our own hearts. So I'm just going to give those to you and let them, let them sit. And then I want us to break into our groups and I want us to talk and really work this through in our lives. And, and men, if this is a struggle for you, if any of these questions lands hard, um, express that. Talk about it. Let's talk about it. We want the Word to be our delight. And the reality is there have been times in each of our lives where it has not been a delight as it should be. So just say that if that's where you're at and let us walk alongside you so that we all begin delighting in the word in the way that we ought to. But here are some application questions. Number one, does, does your love for God bear the fruit of love for His word? Does your love for God bear the fruit of love for His Word. We say that we love God, but if we are not growing in our love for His Word, there's a disconnect there. Because this is how we know God. This is how we fellowship with God. It's how we hear God's truth. So is your love for God bearing the fruit of love for His Word? Secondly, do you recognize your dependence on God for illumination? This is flowing out of his request in verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see. That is, illumination is a doctrine that understands that the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to understand the, the, the Scriptures, but not just understand them. Illumination includes with it also the idea that we understand the Word and there's a sense, a draw that I, that is true, I affirm it, and I want to live it. it, it it's, because understand, there are professors, liberal professors, who, 
who can explain the Greek and far better than I can, who, who are very heady, smart men. They can understand the Bible in the intellectual sense, but their heart is not drawn to it. They're not in submission to it. It's just a, an academic exercise. So illumination must be more than just understanding. It includes understanding, but it includes with it this longing that, yes, an affirmation, that is true. And then lastly, and I want to live in it. Do you pray, open my eyes in that sense. Help me to see the truth for what it is that I may walk in it. Do you recognize your dependence on God for illumination? That's number two. Number three, do you feel more at home in the word than the world? Do you feel feel more at home in the word than the world do you feel like a stranger in this place not that you're not enjoying life in the way that god has given us in ecclesiastes but is there this dissonance between you know the the affections that i have they don't match the affections of the world and when i read the word i feel at home what about number four are you consumed by a longing for god's word are you consumed by a longing this is My soul is crushed with longing after your testimonies. Another way to say that same question, this is not number five, this is still number four, but does your mind settle on the word when it's free? Like a water running downhill, where does your mind settle? Does it settle on the word of God? Number five, do you see the wicked through the lens of Scripture? Do you see the wicked through the lens of Scripture? This is a reference Back to verse 21, you rebuke the arrogant and the cursed. You know, Psalm 73, we won't go there for the sake of time, but Psalm 73 speaks of this response to the apparent prosperity of the wicked. You remember the psalmist, the whole thing he's saying, I'm watching these wicked men and they're prospering. They're the rich ones, they're the powerful ones. And he said, my foot almost slipped. He's like, I almost gave in to thinking wrongly on this matter until I considered their end. And he realized, maybe for a short time, the wicked are prospering. But it won't always be that way when the judgment comes. Do you see the wicked through the lens of Scripture? We ought not not to envy the wicked and their prosperity. Number six, do you fear God more than men? Do you fear God more than men? This is the only way the psalmist could legitimately say, even though princes sit and talk against me, I'm meditating on your word. If you fear man more than God, then when there's opposition against you or you're up for potentially uh, losing your job or whatever it may be, that will consume you. If you fear God more than men, those things will drive you to your knees in prayer, will drive you to search the scriptures. Number seven, is the word truly your delight? Is the word your delight? Your testimonies also are my delight. Do you have an affection for the word? And then lastly, is the word your counselor? Is the word your counselor? Do you find yourself regularly thinking, what does the Bible say about that? When you have a question, when your wife has a question, when your kids have a question, is your knee-jerk reaction to say, what does the Bible say? That's what it is for the Word to be your counselor. This is, this is the first place I turn. 
when I have a question or a conundrum in life. So obviously the psalmist loves the Word of God, and his example calls us to do the same. And that really is what I want us to take away from this. If It really dovetails perfectly with the other things that we're studying. If we're to be men of purity, like passions of the heart, it's going to start with the mind. If our minds are stayed on truth, then we will walk in purity. And when they stray and settle on other things, we leave ourselves out vulnerable to all sorts of evil. So let's take a moment. Let's break up into our, our groups um, just to discuss some of these application questions, discuss maybe other observations you made as you studied the text. And let's just take some time to apply this. Ask for accountability in areas where the word hasn't been a priority as it should be. And then close in prayer.